Good evening, Grace Covenant. How are you guys doing? My name is Sean. I'm one of your associate pastors here. I'm Sean Clemens is my name. Um, over to men's ministry, also in our prayer ministry. Um, so I'm really pleased to be here tonight. Um, and in this Advent season, um, get an awesome, awesome opportunity to, to look at a, a popular scripture um, that maybe you don't know the chapter and verse, but I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, tonight we're going to be talking about, um, or I'll be speaking from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Um, and while you're pulling that up, I want to take a moment just to um, say happy anniversary to my wife. Um, we just... Thank you. We can give it up a little bit more. She, she has endured me for 11 years, and I'm so grateful for that. And I, and I really do mean it from the bottom of my heart um, that I, I see God's pleasure with me um, when I think of the wife that he has given to me. Um, so thank you so much for 11 years and many more to come. So hopefully, um, while I was um, getting some points with my wife, you were able to pull up Isaiah 9, verse 6, for those who are pulling it up. Um, the scripture reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. Um, and this prophetic word that went to the prophet Isaiah um, means so much to us um, thousands of years later. And in this moment, Father God, I pray that you'll help us to push aside the familiarity with the verse or with the season and help us to hear directly from you. And so I ask that you will use me as a tool to communicate your message. They don't want to hear from me. They need to hear from you. Um, and so we are asking, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to continue to permeate this service and use me um, in that fashion. In the name of Jesus, amen. Because of the season that we're in, many of us, if not all of us, are very familiar with the various Christmas songs and um, the, the Christmas story of Jesus' birth. And so we, we, it's easy for us to kind of move over into a place where we are just really comfortable um, or familiar with um, what the story is. And so we don't take advantage of the Advent season in, in a way that can help us um, grow in our faith. And so today I hope to help to um, um, expose maybe some issues that some of us have um, and then show how the Advent season can help us to overcome it. Um, and so my, 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 my sermon title in, um, this evening is called An Announcement of the King and His Kingdom. Um, a few years ago, I was with my wife. She, in her job, it took her out to Las Vegas, and um, it, the conference that she was at, it gave us an opportunity to get away from our four kids and just spend some time together. Um, so I really enjoyed that, really was having a great time, and one of the vendors at the conference that she was at invited her and, and Plus One to a party at a at a casino named the Stratosphere. And I asked the um, AV team to get some pictures because I wanted you, you guys to be able to see this, to really be able to, to grasp um, what this story means. So can we, can we pull up um, one of the pictures, the picture of the, the casino itself? So that's the Stratosphere right there. Notice how tall it is. You see the, the, the casino right to the left down at the bottom? See, that's like a normal huge casino right there. But this right here is the world's largest or highest 
um, open, I forgot the, the term that's used, but it's, it's humongous and it's very, very, very tall. Well, while we were there and we were at this party, my wife says, hey, do you want to get on one of the rides? See, at the top of that tower right there, they have amusement rides. Can we show them a picture of the amusement ride? This right here is called this insanity. That's what it's called. It's called insanity. So, you know, I'm sitting there. I'm cool. I'm just enjoying Las Vegas, enjoying my wife. And she says, hey, do you want to get on one of these rides? There was three other rides, but this one she had in mind the whole time. She, she had me set up. I said, no, you know, I'm, I'm good. She, said, she says, are you scared? Well, of course I ain't scared. What are you talking about? Pride kicks in. I ain't going to let my wife show me up and get on that thing and then brag to our kids how I was too afraid to get on. And so I began to, to do a little bit of intellectual reasoning. Well, you know, whether or not this is Sin City, they love money out here. And so if someone would have died on this ride, they would have shut it down because it would mess up the money. So certainly they won't have a ride where you will plummet to your death. Hundreds of people must have ridden this ride in the past so I can be confident that everything will be good. I had an intellectual ascent of reasoning that allowed me to stand in line. Now, my body on the other half, on the other hand, it just didn't come into full agreement. And so as we're waiting in line and we're seeing people out there going, circling around, remember the first picture, or even in this picture, you see that it is clearly above all of those casinos that are on the strips. I'm like, man, I don't know if I really want to do this. But remember, my wife has challenged me, and I can't let her know how I'm really feeling. And so we finally, we get onto this ride. And the thing is, is initially you're on the roof itself. And so when you're sitting on it, you still have the comfort of the building itself being underneath you. Now, what this ride does is the arm moves to the side of the building, and now you're dangling 900 some odd feet above the ground. Now, just to put that in, in a picture for you, I, I remember when I was a kid, we used to have matchbox cars. Um, I saw... It must have been like some type of emergency vehicle. I want to say it was a fire truck, but um, it, was, it was normally a huge vehicle. It looked like a little matchbox car from 900 feet above sea level. My mental ascent, my intellectual um, reasoning that I used to get myself out there to say, man, I believe that I will be safe, betrayed me. It fled, and I'm sitting here on this ride. God, what have I done? I don't want to die like this. No amount of fun is worth me perishing. And I tried to comfort myself with, if this thing breaks, at least it won't be, I won't feel anything. I will immediately plummet to my death. My palms got sweaty, my armpits. There was no smiling. There wasn't no joking going on. I'm sitting there holding on for life. As the ride begins to take place, what I'm really trying to describe to you is mental mapping versus intellectual ascent. See, intellectually, I was able to reason out why I could get on this ride and I should be safe and I should be able to have a good time. But my mental map, 
those deep convictions, that, that deep knowledge that I have of gravity and how 100% of the time I will fall down if I step off, off this ledge, gripped every part of my being while I was on insanity. And I felt insane for getting on it. <laughs> when we're faced with different troubles and issues in life, mental mapping can take over. And if we haven't learned how to really begin to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, then we will fall prey to those things that are deeply seated in us, those deep-seated convictions that we have. I was listening to um, a sermon. Thank you. You can, you can kind of take that off. I don't want them to just remember how insane I was. <laughs> listening to a sermon, and the guy, he, he, he's, he's kind of given a definition to lie, um, to a lie, and he says that, a lie is an abomination against God, um, but it's an ever-present help in times of trouble. When you get in those situations, when the, when, the, when the issues get sticky, do you just kind of respond like I did on the ride and just go ahead and tell the lie? Even though you mentally assented to the idea that it's, it's, it's against God's will? I think, I believe that one of the reasons that God allowed this prophecy to go forth was because in this prophecy we can find hope that is found in, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. There is hope for the future. There is hope for what we can become underneath the rulership of a king who holds the title of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. There is a hope of change that can take place in us, that we do not have to continue to live in a life that is dominated by Adam's genes in us, but we can be freed from that and we can become the new creatures that God wants us to be if we will assist him by giving the effort that's necessary for the grace to come alongside us um, to make the proper changes in us. And so as we're diving into this scripture, one of the things that I would like for you to do if you're taking notes um, is to write down a vision statement, just the beginning of it, my life with God. Not a vision statement about where you'll be at in 10 years concerning your career or where you would like for your family to be. Those are good things, but let's just begin to think about what our life looks like with God. Because in, in what I'm seeing here in this prophecy, there's a picture of that, that if we will begin to come alongside it, we can begin to develop a mental picture that if we have put some intent and, and method behind it, that can begin to transform our mind and we can live in the way that God wants us to over the progressive time. God calls it sanctification. So a little bit of background of what's going on in Isaiah as he's given this prophecy about um, Jesus' birth to come, maybe 700 years after the prophecy that is given. Um, we find um, in chapter 6, after seeing this great vision of God in the temple, um, that he said, God, send me, I'll go, I'll go and proclaim your truth. Um, and God laid it out for him that there, there is a people that you're going to go speak to in the land of Judah that will hear, will have ears to hear but won't hear. And they have eyes to see, but they won't see. And so they won't really be, you won't really have the type of effectiveness that we would typically like to see 
Um, but you being obedient to me is what I need for you to do if you're willing to go. And so he goes. And so we see him um, through these chapters up until this point declaring that judgment, exile, death, destruction was going to be taking place and was going to impact the lives of those who lived in the land. But just like the loving father that we serve, in verse 6 of chapter 9, he layers in this hope of what the future could look like. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. took some time to, to kind of go through the process of what I would, I'm asking you to do when you're outside of the service or even if you, you began to do it now. And I began to look at what the titles that were given to Jesus and how that impacts the vision I have of my life with God. I would like to share that with you um, as kind of a, a priming of the pump for you to, to be able to go through the process yourself. I believe that in this Advent season, a promise like this, as we look back to this promise and, and what it means for our lives, if we begin to rehearse those things, it can help to foster the vision that we need of what our life should be like within the kingdom of God. So the first title, Wonderful Counselor. Now, it's important for us to understand that wonderful here is not how we would typically use it. I know how I find myself at times using it. Where my daughter, I have a two-year-old, she'll come um, from her time in her school and she would have drawn a bunch of circles um, with various colors. And, and, you know, I'll say, you know, that's wonderful. Sweetheart, that is wonderful. And I, and I want to encourage her and I want to help her. But am I in awe of what she has done? Am I marveling at her skill set as a two-year-old? No, she's, she's not talented, especially as an artist at this point. It may come along, but at this point, she is not doing something like that. And so we, we would use the word wonderful, and we would use our definition of it, if we're not careful when we're looking at Scripture, as just saying, oh, it's something really nice. But what the, what the prophet is saying, what God intended for us to understand is that when he is saying wonderful counselor, it is some, there is counsel that God has made available to us that will make us marvel at his genius, at his ability to see things, at his ability to, to help you navigate the issues of life. There is something much greater than just, oh, that's wonderful. There is wonder, there is awe that comes about from the counsel of God. But often we don't experience his wonderful counselship <laughs> because we go and we, we go to other resources. We don't first take it to him in prayer. We lean towards our own understanding. And so the vision that I wrote down of my life, if I walk with God in regards to him being a wonderful counselor, I put, if I take everything to him and live out every day under his counsel, I will have a sense of wonder by the profound things he will reveal to me. 
the intimacy that will be built, the, the spending of time, like, like maybe some of you had a favorite uncle or a teacher, someone who could share stories about their past, someone older than yourself, and, and you just marveled at the stories, and you love just spending time. You love spending time with the person with, with that type of wisdom. God is a wonderful counselor. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Advent gives us an opportunity to look back and see this king, this announcement of the king and his kingdom. And how it can impact us. Mighty God. Similar to Moses in Isaiah chapter 63 verse 12. I want to turn there real quick because I, I think there's a beautiful picture. <coughs> excuse me. Of words that Isaiah uses to help us to understand how Moses was able to experience this mighty God in a way where they partner together and they work together. Verse 11, actually, is where I want to start. Isaiah describing the days of old, saying in verse 11, Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Listen to this who caused his glorious arm to go out at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name. Who caused his glorious arm to go out at the right hand of Moses. Remember the scene as the exodus is taking place and they're at the Red Sea and, and Moses standing at the Red Sea, not understanding what is he supposed to do. Because Pharisee, um, excuse me, the, um, the Pharaoh was coming. God said, you, you have a staff, why don't you use that? And as he stepped out in faith, as his effort to be obedient to God was realized, he stretched forth his arm. And God, alongside of him, moved his arm and parted the Red Sea. Man, there is a mighty God that we worship in this season. Not just because it's beautiful songs. Not just uh, uh, the, the thought about presence that will be given to us. There is a mighty God who was promised through this prophecy of Isaiah. And Advent gives us an opportunity to envision our life with him. So similar to Moses in Isaiah 63, 12, I will see God's mighty power act in concert with my effort to produce what I could never do on my own. This is a vision of what my life will look like with God. I need to be able to envision this. You know, when I was trying to get on insanity, I didn't really see the, how much fun I could have. I tried to reason out why I wouldn't die. <laughs> if I could have had a better picture of the joy that could come along with spinning around that fast, being that high, then I could have pushed aside some of the other things that came along with it. Having a great vision is going to help you in this process. Everlasting Father. Here, I want to be careful that we understand that, that Isaiah is not giving him, Jesus, the Trinitarian name, Father. Because it may be easy to think that way. Here, what he's saying is that this everlasting Father is more akin to what you would think of, of father of a nation. or father, Like Henry Ford is the father of the, of the automobile. Like there's a protection, there is a provision um, that is given from a person to a group of people. But it's not the title as, as, as we see in, in the New Testament, God the Father. 
everlasting father. I will be confident that I no longer need to strive for the approval of men because God is my protective father. This signals the end of a need to judge myself against the accomplishment of others because being in his care fulfills my desire to feel significant. Do you contemplate that? Do you take time to, to, to think through, to picture what it means for the, the creator of the universe to have brought you into his love for those who are Christians, for those who would call upon him as daddy? Do you grasp the significance of that? Because this prophecy that Isaiah is laying out for this people who is going through so much turmoil, who, who, who are on the cusp of such destruction, he's layering it in so that those who do get exiled can have hope for the future. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. I will progressively grow in wholeness because of his shalom that he offers. The pain and brokenness that I've experienced throughout my life need no longer dominate how I see myself. Jesus changes this by adding the missing pieces needed to bring about wholeness. Those shortcomings that I feel about myself because I didn't accomplish this or I didn't accomplish that. Maybe it's the way that I look. And God brings about a peace. There's a wholeness that you can rest in, that you can progressively grow in, that you don't need the approval of others. It's this vision, this vision of a life that comes underneath the effective rule of the king. The effective rule of the king means that we are being obedient to him. And I think in, in the book of Daniel, I think there's a great example of how this vision, these core convictions, was transformed in three men's lives, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because of some, some decisions that they made and a picture that they had of the greatness of their God. And I think it was tested initially when we read in Daniel chapter 1 about the exile. That there were people that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had, had sent out to um, bring in some, some, some smart, good-looking um, people full of potential that could come and be an aid to his kingdom from uh, the land of Israel or from, the, from Judah. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, they had made a decision that they did not want to defile themselves. But can you imagine as you're being carried away from your homeland after seeing the destruction, you're going under the rule and the tyranny of another king? Wouldn't it be easy to say, man, where is God? So even then, their picture, their vision of God must have been aided by a prophecy that had come years before from Isaiah that, no, no, God told us this was going to happen because of our behavior. I can still trust in this God. And their vision of God influenced the way that they, they sat at the king's table and they said, no, 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 we're not going to eat the king's food. We'd, we're not going to defile ourselves. And trust was able to be built up because they were intent on honoring God in the, in the face of certain danger. 
Because they certainly could have been killed in that instance. And this picture continued to grow. And we fast forward to chapter 3 of Daniel and we see Nebuchadnezzar has this statue made of gold. And, and after being convinced that people should worship it and bow down whenever the music is played. Under the penalty of death if someone did not bow the knee to the statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because of their vision, because of the intent of their hearts, because of the methods of studying and, and trusting God in other areas, their mental map did not allow them to bow because they knew that their God not only could heal them or save them in the midst of the fire, but that he was much greater even if he chose not to. That he would, they would not bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar. The power of the mental map goes beyond what our mental ascent can do. And we affirm, man. We, we, it's easy to affirm in this season the beautiful songs that we sing in Christmas. It's easy to, to come alongside, you know, Advent and music and, and just sing, but not really get engaged in the worship. It's so easy to do that because we're familiar we're familiar with the sayings. We're familiar with the seasons. Familiar with this, this time that we're in. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't just have an abstract idea of who God was. Something that was layered extremely deep down on the inside of them. I mean, can you imagine? Not only are you being told you're about to be thrown in a fiery furnace, but then Nebuchadnezzar says, you know what, make it seven times hotter. And then on top of that, when the guys who are taking you, about to throw you in, the flames come out and kill them right in front of you. I mean, at some point, wouldn't it be easy to say, whoa, whoa, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, um, I think I changed my mind. See, when I was on Insanity, I had changed my mind. I just, it was too late. I was hanging out there, and they weren't going to stop the ride for me, and then my pride wouldn't let me say it in front of my wife. But everything in me said, hey, man, let's get off of this thing. Advent is a season. This prophecy is a tool that we can use that can help to layer in this new vision. You know, Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And meditating on this, meditating in such a way that you begin to see what your life is like with God underneath this rulership. And if we will expand our thoughts and think about our community in this kingdom of God that is advancing under this king's rule, what would our communities look like? Can we begin to capture a vision for our community and what it would look like underneath the rulership of this wonderful counselor, this prince of peace? If we can allow this vision of what this kingdom looks like in this announcement that is given, maybe it will help to inspire us to, to go beyond what's comfortable. You know, Jesus said this about the kingdom in, in, in Matthew chapter 13, 45 and 46. I'm just going to paraphrase. He said that the kingdom of God is like a man finding a pearl of great worth. And he goes off and he sells everything he has and comes back and buys the field. Now, on the one hand, it seems like, man, that's a lot for just a pearl. But the idea behind the, prophet or, uh, uh, the parable 
is that this man knew I'm winning if I sell everything and I'm able to obtain this pearl. As we fully experience, as we walk more and more under the effective rulership of God, we begin to understand that we are the blessed ones. We are the Joneses that everybody else should be copying. But there was sacrifice in him going to sell everything that he had. Sometimes we got to sacrifice our comfort so that we can bring about this vision for our community by going and sharing, using this season as a tool or as a vehicle, I should say, to be able to share the gospel of the kingdom of God. Where we can invite friends and family members into what Jesus has made available to us. This prophecy. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Clearly lays out that it wasn't just to have people do good things. But he came, he was sending his son to rule. The government would be on his shoulders. And so us as as Members who are a part of this kingdom, it is a part of our duty. It's our great commission to go and make disciples of the kingdom. And so Advent, this prophecy, is a reminder of the the good news that we who are Christians have walked into, this covenant, and also a vision of what our communities could look like when everyone bows the knee. The vision of this house is to win the city. And as, as, as hard as it is to wrap your mind around something like that, it's not too hard for God. We serve a mighty God, and we can play in a role. We, can have a, a role. we have a role to play in the expansion of this kingdom. So this Advent season, let's not just go through the motions. Let's not just sing along with our favorite Christmas songs. Let's use them as opportunities to fuel our vision of who God is and what our life looks like with him. Let's change the the mental map on the inside of us so that we don't resort to lying, though we know it's wrong and we've tried very hard. You know, one thing I've said about trying, I think I may have said it from here before, is is that um, we can try to do things, um, but it's not the same as training to become the kind of person who can do it. And so I've used in the past an example of me and some guys playing football together, and there was another guy across from me on the defense. I was on the offense. I had to block him. And he was a former football player, and he had messed up his knee. But, you know, I didn't know that, but I did know he was a lot bigger than me. And as soon as our quarterback says hike, this guy comes up, and he does some kind of move that just slapped me and moved me right aside. (laughs) Then the next time, he he did it again, and, and I'm... Couldn't put my hands on him. I couldn't. He just kept pushing my hands away. I was trying to block him. And when I went back to the huddle, they said, Sean, man, what are you doing? I'm trying. (laughs) I had never trained to be an offensive lineman. And there are men who train years and years and years to be able to have that kind of skill set. We need to train. We need a part of our training is having the appropriate vision of who our God is and our life with him. And as that vision is more and more embedded in who we are, we intend to to live in such a way that our love leads us to obedience to his his laws or to his, his commandments. 
Advent can change us as we look back to, to what, what the prophet proclaimed 700 years before the birth of Christ. We can also not just see that this signifies the birth of Christ, but that there was an announcement of the king and his kingdom that's found right there in that passage. Please take the time to, to write out a vision not about your job, not about where your family is. Those things are good, but for another time, just a vision. What does it mean for you to live with God? That you may begin to elaborate for some, fill in some coloring for some, if you've already done something like that. For some who have never done that, begin to draw a picture of what your life is going to look like as God progressively makes you into the image of Christ. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Is there anyone here who has not entered into this kingdom? This kingdom is really where the abundant life is. It's really where the good life is. If you haven't had the privilege of entering in through what Jesus has done for us by dying on the cross and shedding his blood and taking on our punishment of sins, after having lived a perfect life and not deserving such a punishment, but he paid the wages of sin for us so that we could have eternal life. Would you like to enter into this life? If that's you, if that's something you would like to do, please raise your hand. Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We're all here. We've um, experienced the joy of entering into the kingdom, but you are looking to have us to, to live in a fuller way a fuller expression of life in the kingdom. And so I pray, Father God, that you will help us um, to create new mental maps um, so that our default, our bent, is to be obedient to you and not to respond with a sinful behavior. Thank you so much for your word and your truth and this promise that was given so long ago. In the name of Jesus, amen. You guys have a great night.